0: My guest today on the A-Game podcast is the real estate rock star himself, Frank McKinney. He shares an incredible journey from quitting his nine-to-five lifestyle over a Slurpee and deciding to stick with his personal brand with his polarizing personality and purple hair that you will see and going from flipping crack houses to flipping multi-million dollar luxury real estate mansions along the Florida coast. The guy is just an absolute beast. He does things professionally, personally, gives back, makes millions, gives millions. He has literally served houses and water and schools and all kinds of things for villages in Haiti, 13,000 plus and counting. Uh, children and families. He's hes helped get back on their feet and feed. So he's doing incredible things with his, his charity, The Caring House. You can definitely check that out. You can hear his incredible mindset and story about how he has scaled up in real estate, uh, really taking calculator risks and exercising his risk tolerance and his mental fortitude to get to the point where he feels comfortable flipping these $50 million plus unique spec houses for absolutely killer profits and finding ways to donate them and serve a purpose in his life, not just by making money, but by helping others. And the guy on top of that is a best-selling author and he has run ultra marathons. So if you guys are not familiar with that, I didn't even know it was a thing until I read David Goggins book, but the guy has competed in the Badwater 135 mile race 12 times and has beaten David Goggins in it two times, which is freaking impressive. So we go into that. And we talk about the training that goes into that, not only physically, but especially mentally. So for the people that still don't understand how important the mental side of that is, if you think finishing a 135 mile race is mostly physical, you are not paying attention. So we dig deep into some tactical things that are important for knowing. When to take the risk on real estate? How to figure out how to keep your profits in there? We talk about mental fortitude, physical toughness, training, how to handle things one one step at a time. He goes into risk, risk tolerance, and how to calculate a risk tolerance in business, and how to take that and, and work on that to exercise like a muscle to slowly increase your risk tolerance. So you can go into bigger and bigger and bigger ventures in life in business, personally and professionally, and not keep letting that fear and that analysis paralysis and that would have take over, which will stop you from creating a really an important legacy for yourself and your family and achieve all your wildest dreams in life. So this guy is living it, breathing it every single day. His new book, Aspire, is out now, so definitely check that out. Go to the frankmckinney.com and you will see show notes with all of the links to his social media for ways to find his books, for ways to donate to his charities, and for ways to just connect with him on all levels, shapes, and sizes. So follow the guy. He's absolutely exciting. Look at his YouTube page. Watch some some of the open houses, some of the things he does for the for the, for the opening when he puts these these amazing luxury houses on the market, you'll see some of the most wild things ever. He he refers himself and is referred to as a real estate artist, not a real estate investor. So if you jump on his website and you look at some of the pictures of some of these absolutely amazing works of art that he has done with some of these houses, you will see absolutely why he has earned that title. And you'll see some of the cool things he's done to be able to sell those houses in record time with some flash and some style and some entertainment. As always, aspiring to be his best. Thank you so much for coming on. You were an absolute pleasure to talk to Frank McKinney, and we're going to bring him back on again soon. As always, this is sponsored by Naked Warrior Recovery CBD and by Nationwide Business Capital Group. So if you're looking for money for your real estate deals, go to nick at nick.com slash links under affiliates, write to Marianne and just say, hey, I don't even know where to get started. I just need some money to get into some real estate. Nick and the A-Game podcast sent me over, help me out and she will get that going. If you were already experienced and you're just looking for more competitive rates and terms, better LTVs, cheaper money for your deals, whether it's rentals, fix and flips, bridge loans, commercial, whatever it may be, reach out to her, tell her the A-Game podcast, send you out and she will roll out the red carpet and get started. And then sure enough, through nicknicknick.com slash links, reach out to me directly on any of the social media platforms and please subscribe to this podcast and that same link. And you will see plenty of different ways to connect with me. So send me a direct message or email me podcast at nickdicknick.com and just say, hey, I want to get into some real estate. I'm new. I'm a beginner. I want to buy properties from you. I want to sell properties to you or I want to partner up with some properties. Help me out. How do I get started or how can we work together? And we will get that going. Have a little bit of patience as I am backlogged, but I'm pushing through every single day. So thank you very much for everybody for listening and supporting the show. Thank you, Frank, for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have an outstanding week. Thank you very much. Right, my guest today on the A-Game podcast is an entrepreneur and actor hailing out of Indiana, now fighting out of Florida. He is a modern day renaissance man and a relentless executioner. He's a philanthropic capitalist and charity founder of the Caring House Project, which has built over 29 self-sustaining villages in Haiti and sheltered over 13,000 plus children and families. He's a real estate artist, purchased his first property in 1987 and now now known as the real estate rock star and has sold some of the world's most visually stunning oceanfront luxury homes with an average sales price of $14 million. He's an excellent talent player. He's an ultra marathon runner running the Badwater 135 mile ultra marathon, 12 Times, keynote speaker of the RAI Family Reunion event coming up soon, and a seven-time best-selling author. His new book, Aspire, How to Create Your Own Reality and Alter Your DNA is coming out soon on 11.11. We're going to dig into that. He's one of the most exciting personalities in business, proud father. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast, and thank you for being here, Frank McKinney.
1: 100% best intro I ever had. Michael <laughs> Buffer ain't got nothing on you. Fantastic. So, I'm coming to you from my treehouse. I don't know if you can tell from behind me, but I work. My magic is created in an oceanfront treehouse. On the 17th of September, Nick, I will celebrate 20 years creating seven best-selling books and the real estate artistry right here. From the, as I look up above the, my screen here, look above your head, the ocean is is no further than about 100 yards over there, 23 feet up in the air, surrounded by sea grape and strangler fig trees. This is where the magic happens and I'm ready to go with the with the A game, with my a game for you.
0: I love that man and you' uh, you're again, you're one of the, the more interesting guys because there was just so many different things. like usually there's one thing, maybe two things that I could go off on but I mean there's 10, 15 different topics I could do 10 or 15 different hours of podcast on. I think you're just we were talking about it a little before. I think you just check almost every box with everything you do. For the listeners and the people that are interested in this podcast, but for the people that aren't 100% familiar with your story yet, is it possible to give a, a snapshot of who you are and where you came from? It's probably not easy to do in your, in your specific case.
1: Yeah, well, quick, let's see if I can keep this to two minutes. So I, I'm a corn-fed country boy from Indiana who moved to Florida with a, a $50 bill and a one-way plane ticket. Left my fourth high school in four years with a 1.8 GPA, was kicked out of the first three. Uh, landed in Palm Beach from that farm in Indiana and was immediately blown away by the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, kind of MTV Cribs lifestyle in Palm Beach. I had a job digging sand traps on a golf course with a bunch of Haitians, earned the nickname the White Haitian because of my work ethic. I wasn't afraid to get up at 4 a.m. when I was 18 years old. I, I swore off all unhealthy vices and temptations when I was young, quit doing all of that, got very disciplined. Went from a maintenance worker on a golf course to becoming a tennis pro because I was a really good tennis player when I was a young boy. I gave that up for the, kind of the life of crime. Uh, I was a, I was locked up in juvenile detention seven times before I was 18. But I left all that behind. It took out, like, if, if my mouse is the eraser of life, I turned around to the chalkboard of life and erased what was. And, and really, it's the subtitle of my new book. T- it talks about how I created my own reality and altered my DNA. I went from being a tennis pro teaching very wealthy people, how to hit a better forehand and backhand, Nick. And what I did on that tennis court is I picked their brain. How did you get here? How are you able to drive up your lesson in a Ferrari or a Mercedes? How do you have a multi-million dollar house, a Beyonce-lookalike wife or a Richard Gere-lookalike husband, kids, yachts, very young, very impressionable at that time, right? I'm 19, 20 years old. The answer, real estate, Frank. I made my money in real estate. So I picked their brain on the tennis court earned my PhD in entrepreneurship, my master's in real estate from the people I taught tennis to. I would actually tire them out. They'd pay for an hour, Nick. I'd tire them out after 45 minutes because I want to pick their brain. I bought my first uppers. as you represented, in 1987, a crack house in a bad part of town, flipped it, made $7,000. Could have been monopoly money. Like, I was so proud of the concept of buying an undervalued piece of shit. Excuse me, I don't curse very often. Uh, an undervalued piece of property, flipping it and making seven grand. Fast forward to today, We've built uh, and created 44 direct oceanfront homes. I didn't just jump from a $50,000 crack house to a multi-million dollar oceanfront home. I did hundreds of smaller transactions before I, I jumped to the, to the point we're at now. Average selling price, 14 million. The most expensive one I sold was 50 million with 32,000 uh, 32, square feet, 18 bedrooms, 20 bathrooms and a 22-car garage uh that's my professional resume but along the lines and i do want to spend some time on this later because i'm going to you know let you get another question in i found my professional highest calling pretty early in life being a real estate artist creating this artistry on a sun drenched canvas known as the atlantic ocean but my spiritual highest calling is what i've lived for now for for over 20 years where we build self-sustaining villages in the poorest country in the western hemisphere that being haiti we've built 29 villages in 25 haitian cities over the last 19 years, sheltering 13,000 children who were eating dirt flavored with bouillon and lemon juice before we got there.
0: Man, that is an incredible tale, personally and professionally. And I think that's definitely something I have on the on the agenda to talk about because I think it's it's something that is not discussed enough is the difference between fulfillment and achievement. And I, I think the the classic case of Robin Williams, you know when if you don't have that thing that drives you, when you accomplish that goal, sometimes it almost does the reverse and gives you that empty feeling or the depression because you haven't actually done something that serves a purpose. And I really like the way you've taken something and you're able to find the business of real estate, but you're also able to scratch the box of the passion of the artistry and also give back to the humanitarian side of it. And I just think it's an amazing balance and mix of all all the important parts of what it's like to be a human.
1: Yeah. I want to, at this stage in my life, Nick, I want to help people. And there's a whole section of my new book, Aspired, dedicated to this. I want to move you from rich to enriched. There is a big difference. Many people I'm sure you've had on your podcast have been become, become successful financially. But there, there is a void. I suffered from it. I was depressed. I had hit the top of the top coming from nothing. Juvenile detention, $50 in my pocket, one-way plane ticket. I remember the day I sold this like $15 million house and I had a car, a garage full of cars, a closet full of clothes and a pantry full of food, but I had no heart in my soul, man. I was lost. I was depressed because I hadn't found my spiritual highest calling. And I ain't going to pound on a pulpit or, or go all Bible on you. Although I know the Bible really well and I've read it cover to cover and I can quote almost any scripture you want. I can put on a collar and be a priest in, 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 stand up at a pulpit any moment, but, finding that that spiritual highest calling by listen i'm a linear thinker i'm a i'm a simpleton 1.8 gpa i provide housing to the world's most wealthy who really don't even need another house they have houses all over the world what about providing housing to those who don't have it that's basically the premise for for my caring house project foundation and and as you said in the intro man 13,000 kids later and over 1500 houses later that we built with no profit motive other than human capital. When I sell an oceanfront home, I make financial capital, I make I make bank, I make money. Uh, in Haiti, my motive is human capital. How many lives can we save? That's how I determine how profitable
0: we are. I love that, man. And I, I think you have a very interesting self-awareness of knowing when something really just doesn't fit you. And I think the ability to walk away and have the courage to do that and and quote unquote take a risk even though you're going on to something bigger is something I see not enough people do. And I know you were uh, a tennis guy. You're making six figures. You're hanging out with hot girls all day. You had a great life and you were able to still walk away from that to go after this. And I feel like that's been a theme throughout your life of being able to restructure and restart and go after something bigger and find your calling when you didn't feel that, that inner satisfaction or go chase something bigger. And I feel too many people stand still with indecision or fear and you don't seem to let that control you. Is that something that came? I know, I know it's a common trait in athletes, but is that something that you just learn from not pulling the trigger and regretting things? Is that something that's always been in you since you were a kid? How did you, I think that's probably the most important trait of being an entrepreneur is being able to, to find that and be
2: able to go after that.
1: One of the most endearing traits of a successful entrepreneur, whether it's developed or it's in your DNA, is the ability to take risk. and And I took self-destructive risks when I was younger. So there's a whole section in, in Aspire that's devoted to fear, risk, Big change, big challenge. So so fear is associated with a thought of taking a risk. When you think about leaving the tennis court in a six-figure-a-year income before I even knew the IRS existed, right? This is cash money. I'm making really good money. I bought a Ferrari when I was 21. I don't say that to impress anybody, just to impress upon you that I had come from, you know, this, this loser to, to making good money as a tennis pro, just a teaching tennis pro. But the thought of leaving the tennis court and, and leaving 100 grand and going out and buying crack houses that were filled with hypodermic needles and used condoms and smelly mattresses and turning those around and making them the most beautiful crack houses on the block when I was done, they weren't crack houses anymore, but they were beautiful. I realized at a pretty early stage that all I needed to do was find a, a, a constructive outlet for a destructive tendency. The destructive tendency was taking risks that resulted in me getting you know, arrested or locked up or what have you. I, most everybody listening to this podcast, if you're over the age of three, between three and 12, you're not changing who you are. You are who you are for the rest of your life. So if you have some tendencies, I simply redirected them, Nick, into a, into a constructive outlet so, so if it was racing uh, a Suzuki Hayabusa, which is the fastest production motorcycle ever made in the history of history and getting a pocket full of speeding tickets and ending up in jail as a habitual traffic offender, that's a destructive outlet for the need for speed, for the need for excitement. Well, a constructive outlet is building uh, a 10,000 square foot house without a buyer on the ocean, not knowing when I'm gonna get paid, taking all these risks with the design elements I put into the house, you better believe I know I'm alive. That's a constructive outlet for, I, I, I could have sat in an office and been an accountant, but I probably would have put a gun to my head because I had to change so much. That is That, that ability to, to be afraid every day of your life, I'm afraid to take these risks, don't get me wrong. I just don't let fear stop me. And so whether, on, on the tennis court, that was not gonna be a limitless lifestyle. There was There was a limit to that lifestyle. Even though it was great and it was fun as, at 19, 20 years old, I knew there was a limit. I wanted to enter a, a, a profession that was limitless, that I could create my own reality. I could create my own limits if I wanted any. And building beautiful houses on the ocean on speculation fed every Like it basically took the needle and put my arm and fed me for 30 years, man. I mean, that's how many, if you go back to the first oceanfront home I did was 1992. So 29 years ago, that's, for your listeners, you know, being able to embrace the fear associated with the thought of taking a risk is the most important thing to advancement in life. It, I didn't say get over the fear. You're going to face it. And most of the time, when you think about taking a risk, it involves a big change or a big challenge in life. So your, your result is, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change from being doing crack houses to doing oceanfront houses. I'm afraid. The thought of that, that migration causes me fear. Well, I'd rather regret what I did than what I didn't do. Like, what if it doesn't work out? Okay, well, I try. Like the race you talked about, that Badwater race, I've run it 12 times. I've failed five. I've made it seven. So at least I, you know, I'm out there and I'm, I'm in the game of life. I'm trying, and it, and it helps me make sure that I don't let fear stop me. I'll look it in the face. I'll feel it. And by the way, Nick, there's times I won't pull the trigger. It's not prudent. It's not out of fear. It's out of prudency. That's the big difference. And I I just think if people realize fear is associated with the thought of taking the risk, once you take the risk, the, the fear is gone, replaced with excitement and joy and success.
0: Man, I could talk for literally the entire day on just those two things of the control of fear and the motivation of regret, because that really is is everything to me. and and regardless of what it is, whether it's buying the first property or you know, like you know, I see some of my buddies that have fought in front of you know 80,000 people in an arena, and at the end of the day, they're like, hey, it's just you and a guy at the end of the day, and the second the bell rings and you're in there, it's just another day at the office and it goes away. And the the thing I think a lot of people worry about, too is like what are other people gonna think? And I think just like you said, if somebody says to you, oh, you didn't finish the Badwater race. It's like, well, how many did you do? Oh, you don't even run on a treadmill, let alone like 135. Like, so who cares what all these other people think? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's you in the mirror saying, I did this and I took that chance. And, and that's been a huge driver for me in my life is I, I suffered a life altering injury. And I looked at all these things I wish I would have done that I didn't do because of fear. And it was like, I never want to have that feeling again. I'd rather beat myself up for being embarrassed or, or, or not, not hitting that goal rather than living the rest of my life with what could have, should have happened. And I think the Testament of what you're saying to that is amazing. And I I think, part of what's in your book that I'm really excited to read about is that idea that somebody would look at you and say, well, you've already sold 43 of those multi, multi, multi-million dollar dream homes on the ocean. You're not going to be scared of number 44. And like what you're saying is it's not the absence of fear. It's always there. And it's a muscle that you have to work every day. So what kind of things do you tell yourself? What's your inner dialogue for you to get past that? Because I think like, like you said, it never goes away. And I think everybody's waiting for, this is the fight that I'm not going to be scared anymore. And to your point, the guys that I see that that have terrible nights and they get knocked out in two seconds, when you go back to the locker room and you hear their interview, they say, you know what, I knew I was gonna have a bad night because I wasn't scared when I walked in that ring or in that cage or I signed that contract.
1: So if you take the word risk and you turn it into an acronym, requires intense self-knowledge, risk. You've got to learn about yourself. You've got to learn about the impediments that the, that the mind creates when you're thinking about, ta- and that risk, by the way, Nick, could be starting a Tupperware club. <laughs> and everybody's risk is different. It's not walking in the octagon or racing a bad water race or doing... You, you will have a very unfulfilled life if you don't overcome fears associated with, with, associated with taking a risk. And again, back to being a simpleton, Everybody listening to this podcast can relate to a roller coaster because almost everybody's been on one. And when you get on that roller coaster and you're in the line and you sit down in the seat and that metal bar comes locking down over your waist and you're waiting for everybody else to get in and then it's released and it starts going up that first hill, that click giddy clack giddy click. And you start looking over what's happening to your heart rate. It's through the roof. You start and your palms are sweating. You're hyperventilating. You're terrified. You're terrified at the thought of what is about to happen. Once you get to the top, your heart rate's maxed out. You're almost ready to pass out. What (laughs) happens after that roller coaster makes that first dive? If you're brave, your hands go up. The fear is replaced with excitement and joy and intoxication. And this is the coolest thing in the world. So much so that I bet you 75% of you get get off the ride and run to the back of the line to do it again that's what business is like you you are afraid as you're you're climbing up that first hill be it the first oceanfront home or first crack house i flipped or first tennis lesson i gave but once that thing crests meaning your business or your endeavor you, you it's that that's the that's what i look for like i'm embrace if if i'm not afraid i know i'm on a wrong track i know i've settled for complacency i've know i've i even told people to work for me the minute I walk in the office and say, or, or, or job sites, so I don't have an office uh, on a job site, let's do the next project just like we did the last one. I've become pl- complacent. They should go find another job because I'm done. I've burnt out. You, you're, you're ready to go work for somebody else or start your own business. So, you know, the, the, the biggest differentiator in my career, in my life, is the ability to embrace risk. I know there are people that are more connected. They network better, they have more financing, you know, they have more skills, they have more knowledge, but very few are able to withstand what they perceive as being the risk that I take. And to me, you know, speaking of your fighters that you, you know, you have on your program, you, you can develop a risk tolerance, meaning like a muscle, you exercise that tolerance for risk and eventually it becomes stronger and able to withstand greater pressure. So, Mick, the biggest risk I took in real estate was that first $50,000 crack house. It wasn't the $50 million house because my wrist muscle was was tiny. You know, <laughs> I hadn't done it before, but after building it up over all those years, now yes, I'm afraid, but I'm not going to let that fear stop me.
0: I love that. You know, I've talked to guys that have hundreds of fights and have done, you know, all kinds of real estate deals. And they all say the second you give into that fear a little bit, that's when you start to lose a little bit of yourself as a man or as a person. And, you know, I, I think that that's what it comes down to is people can go after the life that Frank McKinney has, too, but they're going to have to take that risk. And a lot of people just won't leave that comfort zone. And I think what you said is the, the fear of failure will stop more people from doing anything than, than the actual failure of doing it. But you've learned from those things. And you said, you know, there's, there's, there's races I didn't finish. There's deals that didn't go the way I did. What do, you, what do you tell yourself when you're going through those things to pick yourself up and just keep moving forward and not let those failures keep you too low and not let the highs keep you too high? So you keep pushing and keep challenging yourself.
1: Okay, so there's a very simple, this will be a shorter answer. <laughs> Everybody can relate to this, regardless of the line of work or sport that you're in. You've been told your whole life that you fear the unknown. We have this belief that we fear the unknown. I say, how is it possible that you fear something you do not know? What you fear is leaving the known. You fear leaving what you know. You cannot fear something you don't know. Case in point, if, I'm, if you and I are doing this show live and I'm in your studio, and you have Tourette's. And I don't know that after four minutes, you're going to strike out and punch me in the face just because you can't control yourself. I didn't know that. How could I fear something I don't know? What I fear is leaving the cubicle. What I fear is leaving the nine to five. What I fear is leaving the tennis court to start real estate. What I fear is doing a bunch of $100,000 houses jumping to a $2 million house. What am I saying? I fear leaving what I know. There's Quit thinking you fear the unknown. Once you come to terms with that, your risk tolerance, your wrist muscle will look like Schwarzenegger's. You'll be able to get out of your own way because you're no longer fearing something that you think you don't know. You're fearing of leaving that comfort zone.
0: I love that, man. That's such a great answer. And I think going back to just business, I've heard you talk about running the races and having just spreadsheets and all kinds of analytics and teams and things. And I think when you're able to dissect the data, you're taking a lot of that emotional part out of it. And one of the things that I thought was fascinating about the real estate side of stuff is if I might be wrong on this, but I think you said the average days on market for your homes, that again, an average sale of $14 million is 54 and a half
2: days. Is that correct?
1: That's to update that. It's definitely less than three months. That might be an older quote, but to put that in perspective, the average days on market for something 5 million and up is around a 14 13, 14 months over time not this real estate you know frenzy market we're in now <laughs> and, and and that that days on market is critical because you know I, while I don't leverage a lot I use a lot of my own money on my deals, I still do borrow money Nick and and there were times on big deals that I was burning through 10000 dollars a day just in interest you know let alone other, other forms of carry so you, those days on market are critical. I've had a house take me over a year to sell. And I didn't make any money because if you're burning through you know, $10,000 a day, that's, that's over $3.5 million in a year that you've lost uh, or potentially didn't gain, assuming your margins were right. So yeah, my, my, you better believe that, that, that kind of leads into why do we do these theatrical grand unveilings? And, and they're very intoxicating, they're theatrical, they're, they're, they're something that you'd see in Vegas or maybe Broadway. There is a method of the madness and and the the, the design is to get VIPs multi-million dollar real estate broker producers. Like I want somebody at that event that picks up the phone and says, I don't know about this guy jumping a motorcycle over the house or repelling on a zip line. Like maybe that belongs on a back lot in Vegas, but you got to see this house because in the end, Nick, I am just the opening act for the main attraction, which is the property. My purple hair, my clothes, myself doesn't come with the house. So if all's I've got, and I'm sure the, the, the fighters can relate to this, if all's I've got is flash and no substance, if all's I've got is sizzle and no steak, I'm a flash in the pan. And, and so you better believe I amp up the, the flash. The flash is what gets people to the door. The substance is what gets them to the closing table to pay that $15 million because I step out of the way. And the true show starts when you walk in the front door of one of the houses we built.
0: I think that that's awesome. And I love that you have kept your identity through that. And I think it's so important because you, I've heard you talk about it before, but the way that people try and put you in a box of, Hey, if you're going to be working in business and you're going to be dealing with multi-multi-millionaires selling luxury real estate, you need a tie, you need a suit, you got to have a certain type of haircut. And you've really taken all that and said, no. I'm going to do this my way. And I, I think that that's so refreshing. And I think that, that that says a lot. You know, there's there's a guy, Kurt Osiander, that literally his whole thing was like his hair and his metal and he, he liked to curse and he was just funny and lovable. And they said, you can't do this anymore. And he was like, well, I got to be Kurt with people and, and left and went after that and, and tried to, because he's like, I refuse to give up my sense of identity and who I am. And I think obviously your identity, your your look, your your artistry is such a huge part of you that you didn't let that go. And I think you probably wouldn't have had the success you had if you didn't have who you are and build your brand there. But was that a, a challenge at first to, to really push through that? Because I'm sure you had a lot of people that were smart, that were giving you advice that was actually bad advice at the time.
1: The, the key word you said there, Nick, was artistry. So if I want to be considered the Van Gogh, Renoir or Monet of real estate, um, I'm not going to suppress my inside. I'm going to live my inside on the outside that's that's it's not even an effort right right it's, it's an effort to suppress that it's an effort to not be this this real estate artist that if listen if you could talk to van gogh renoir monet before you bought one of their paintings wouldn't you want to know what inspired them that's why i'm at every single showing for one of my houses and and there was a time when i i did it's in my new book coming out aspire that i talk about i took the advice early on in my career And I cut my hair and I got a suit and I went to, I was going to go work at a real estate firm. This is real early. Like I was 21 and I walked in the door and the guy said, called me by the wrong name, told me to get a haircut and go get a better suit. I had just done those things. I just sold my soul for this clown working for a real estate firm. I walked out and I called him by the wrong name. And I said, he called me Chuck and I called him Larry or whatever. I said Larry man I ain't I don't think I'm going to be working here. Thanks for the opportunity. I went to 7-11. I took off my ugly maroon tie. I gave it to the clerk. I, I gave him my jacket, my ugly suit jacket. I bought a Slurpee. I sat down on the curb outside that 7-11. I said never again. Never will I compromise, co-opt myself, change myself for anyone, anything, any endeavor. This goes for just goes it for people in life, women especially. Like never co-opt yourself compromise yourself for a man you don't need to be doing that and and guys the same thing if you're looking to you know meet the, i've i just celebrated 31 years married Uh, you know know, yeah that's people don't believe i've been married 31 years and i got a beautiful wife who, who we just celebrated celebrated her birthday so you know i i if you have to a personal brand is something that you well i define personal branding as follows Personal branding is the art of amplifying your essence to the point where your customers, either current or future, become subliminally intoxicated with you first, then your product or service. So, obviously, fighters, you've got to amp it up before you get in the ring. They, they become intoxicated with Frank McKinney's ability to design and market and, you know, repel out of a helicopter onto the roof and light the house on fire before he opens it up. Before they become intoxicated with my product or service. That's personal branding, the amplification of your essence. And too many people turn down the volume on that. Now in society with social media, that's changing, but you've got, if you want to create a personal brand, a memorable personal brand, you've got to amplify your essence.
2: If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate or advanced, Any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on Any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today.
0: I love that, man. And speaking of your brand, you really are a special type of person. And I want to dig into a little bit about the running and then I want to go deep into the book. But what you do in running those ultra marathons is amazing. Prior to reading the David Goggins book last year, I didn't even know that that was a thing. I didn't even know humans could do that. Run 100 plus miles, I just think is insane. The fact that you've done it multiple times, I think is a true testament, not only Physically, because I'm sure people think it's physical, but knowing what must go into that mentally and what you have to constantly keep prepping yourself up and then you're, you're wearing down and you have to pick yourself up again I can't even imagine the grueling crazy thoughts that go through your head running through the desert in the middle of the night so I'd love to hear about that. And I also want to tie that into how has that training and those experiences helped you better yourself in life and business.
1: So going back to Goggins I've raced against Goggins in that race. (laughs) And th- there were two occasions I beat him. Get
0: uh, out of here.
1: No. I mean, Dude, I,
0: that's freaking yeah, awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was one year. I don't think he made it to the finish line. I forget. I'm, I mean, he, he's, he's one of my idols. He's cool, one of the coolest guys in the world. I'm not knocking him. But, but very few people know that I beat Goggins in the 135-mile race. <laughs> and I've got like 10 years on him. Uh, so, so, the, so to set the scene, the Badwater Ultra Marathon, Badwater 135-mile Ultramarathon is the toughest foot race in the world according to National Geographic. It starts at the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere in Death Valley at 282 feet below sea level. It traverses on pavement, by the way. It's not in the sand. So in the summer, the average daytime temperature is around 125 degrees. The pavement has been registered at 200 degrees. And you're running on blacktop pavement for 135 miles over three mountain ranges, over the top and back down, over the top and back down. You're finishing at about 9,000 feet above sea level. So the cumulative gain uh, number of feet gained is like 20,000 feet. Only hundred people are invited from around the world. Uh, t- typically 25 countries are at the start line when that gun goes off. So you have to be invited. You can't just show up. It's a tough race to get invited to. So I have a saying in business, get the mind right and the money will follow in this sport. You get the mind, right. And the miles will follow. I, I got ready to run that race or, or at least to submit my application in six weeks because I had a coach that made me believe I ran a hundred mile race before I ran a marathon uh, and, and I'm finished in under 24 hours as many years ago, 2004, but she made me believe she got my mind, right. She conditioned my mind to believe that I could finish a hundred mile race. Day one, I was in an ambulance day two. I was in a wheelchair after the race day three, I had crutches day four. I had, a cane, and by day five I was walking by myself. That's how brutal it was for me. But in life, Nick, you'll have what I call the three eyes, the insurmountable, the incomprehensible, and the impossible lay themselves on your heart. So when I learned about Badwater, dude, I wasn't even a marathoner, but other people had run that race. I wasn't the first. Other people had finished it. Why not me? But it was so insurmountable, incomprehensible, and impossible. There's just, I mean, I'm a fast twitch muscle guy that runs a 10k in 40 minutes. How in the hell am I going to run two days straight? Because you got a 48 hour time limit to finish, or you're disqualified. And I got to that start line in 2005. I finished in a little little back then. You had 60 hours to finish. I finished in a little over 48, and I came back 12 more times. And so my my training regimen. Some of the highlights of it are, I have a treadmill inside my sauna uh, where I, because I have to simulate, I'm in South Florida. I got, I got high humidity, which is great. Like I'm running the, in the humidity. I actually run outside with a mechanics jumpsuit on, like those, those canvas old, that you zip up or hotter shit. I, I would run out in that, but I'll run in my sauna on my treadmill. I'll go to the bridge and pull a tire that's harnessed to my waist back and forth one day one time i did it 24 hours straight back and you know first, I took a and break to go to the bathroom and stuff but back and forth back and forth my training runs 50 mile training runs uh longest training run training run was 100 miles i did a few 70 milers so all i'm doing though nick by my, for me because i'm not a gifted ultra marathoner by, by by mile 40 ish i'm in so much pain that I got 85 miles to go. I'm sorry, 95 miles to go. My pain is already there. So I have to, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, when I'm training, if I were to go train right now, I'd probably need to get 10% more fit physically, but I'd need to get 50% more men, mentally fit. So when I'm doing all these things, when I sauna, on the bridge or running 50, I'm working on my mind, man. I've got a decent base. If I go out there with a decent f- physical, cardiovascular cardiovascular base i'm gonna do fine but the times i didn't finish all of them but one were due to, to to failures of
0: the mind i find that fascinating what have you done over the years to get that mental toughness there because there's no i i assume that that's not a natural thing because people people have trouble just not just going to the gym just even just going to live weights let alone run five miles a day or 10 miles a day or do a hundred mile marathon. And I, I would assume that probably once every mile or two, you're telling yourself I can quit. I've already done 30 miles, 40 miles, 50 miles. And that just keeps creeping back in and creeping back in and to develop that sort of mental toughness to be like, "Ah, oh, I'm in pain. My, my shoes are literally melting and I have 90 freaking miles still to run and to say, I don't care. I'm still going to go do that. I, I just find that absolutely amazing.
1: Okay, so this actually speaks to the very the, the title of my book, Aspire. Here, here's what happens during the race and during training. Let, let's use training first because I train a lot more than I race, right? I'm training for five months to race for two days. Motivation washes off and goes down the drain with the soap at night. I, you, and every single person listening to this cannot stay motivated. That's why there's a multi-billion dollar industry out there built around motivation. Because as a species, we cannot stay motivated. Come to terms with it. Actually, you should be relieved to understand you can't stay motivated. Nick can't stay motivated. Goggins can't stay motivated. Frank McKinney can't stay motivated. So if I did a crappy job today, what you learned will wash off and go down the drain with the soap at night. Inspiration. All right, what about inspiration, Frank? You're so inspiring. I failed again because inspiration wears off like the effects of a bad sunburn. About two weeks later, after you read an inspiring book, or watch an inspiring movie it's gone the title of my book aspire aspiration aspiration is what alters the dna i aspired to finish the toughest foot race in the world was i motivated to wake up every day and train no was i inspired to go pull the tire for countless hours at the bridge no and there's times i failed at that but nick your aspirations are as sacred as Faberge eggs. There are these sacred boxes that you put, you put that aspiration in. If you're a fighter, you want to be the, you know, the top MMA guy, or I'm not, I don't really follow that sport, but you know what I'm saying? You want to be the top. I never deviate from that aspiration. So if I'm out there and I'm I'm training and I've set my mind to do a 30 mile training run, I know that there will be times during that race that I will want to quit. And if I, create that habit of saying hey yeah I already did 25 I'm failing my aspiration I know right away that I'm, I'm setting myself up to fail in that race so when you when you identify something that's that important to you know say finish that race or being a real estate artist or being a best-selling author those are sacred aspirations and and quit beating yourself up over the fact that you can't stay motivated or inspired I'm asking you or challenging you to identify and it's one of the first chapters of my new book what legacy do you aspire to leave behind what do you aspire to be doing 12 months from now that you're not doing now who do you aspire to emulate you notice i'm not using the word motivate or inspire who do you aspire to emulate what legacy do you aspire to leave behind these are questions that once you answer them go into that sacred faberge box and they, you do not deviate from them until you see them come to fruition. You won't be motivated every day to make it happen, but don't let that defeat you. Keep going back to that box and saying, okay, I aspire to finish the toughest foot race in the world. I'm going to do anything and everything I can to make sure I get to that finish line.
0: I love that, man. And I'll tell you, it's very timely for me because I've been looking and reading about your book. I'm excited to have it come out and to, to actually the it because – when you started talking about how it, it washes away every day, it's like a sunburn. It made me feel better because I almost felt like I was alone. I was like, you know, there's days I'm like, what's wrong with me? You know, this, this isn't me. I'm not lazy. I don't watch Netflix. And, and then you look on Facebook or, or social media and everybody's out there killing it. And they're at the, and I'm like, how do I get that back? And to know that there are people out there that are doing the stuff that you're doing that feel that. I think it's so relatable for people to know that it's natural and and identify it and embrace it, but then overcome it and don't let it challenge you. So I want to read deeply about how you handle that in this book. And I also thought it was excellent that one of the chapters was de- dedicated to being a relentless action taker, which I think is another huge thing. It's like, okay, y- you got inspired. Now, what are you going to do with it? Are you just going to go watch another video on YouTube to inspire you or to push no. you? Or are you going to take some stuff you did and go make something happen with it? So um, I do. Let, let's talk more about that book because I'm excited for it. I know there's a launch coming out. I want to hear about what you're doing to promote it and what's going on at that actual launch.
1: All right. So so you, one thing you referenced that I think is so critical that, that you call relentless. It, it's it's in my sauna, in chalk, above the, on the wall, above the window that I stare at when I'm, on, when I'm on that treadmill, I was in there this morning actually, relentless forward motion. It doesn't matter at mile 80 how fast I'm moving forward, just that I'm moving forward. A few times when I've thought about quitting, and, and by the way, the Badwater Ultramarathon, there's no, um, there's no aid station. So you have a, a crew that, that leapfrogs you every mile that hydrates you and feeds you and counts your calories and your magnesium, your potassium, your sodium. I've had many instances where I've wanted to quit. My wife, who is the crew chief, will come out and say, all right, the finish line is that way, east. I'm sorry, the finish line is west. And the crew van is east. You can choose to start walking back to the crew van, get in the van and go back to the hotel, and we'll pull you out of the race, or you can just walk your way toward the finish line. Either way, you've got to walk, man. You're not going to run. You just walk. Which do you choose? Relentless forward motion. If it's sprinting, if it's running, if it's jogging, if it's walking, power walking, crawling, puking, I'm relentlessly going to be moving forward. That's applicable to life. It's a great metaphor for life. It's a great, it's, it's, it's what we got to do. So the days that, you, that Nick f- wakes up and doesn't feel like going to the gym, but he sees everybody else doing it, that's normal. That's natural. Accept it, embrace it. It's going to happen. But as long as you, I've aspired to five freaking things in my life. That's it. Be a real estate artist. Be a best-selling author. When I had a 1.8 GPA, I've written seven books and six genres. Finish the toughest foot race in the world run a charity in the poorest country in the western hemisphere and have a great family because i really didn't come from one that's all i've big things nick that i've aspired to so when you if somebody says to me hey frank do you have a book to recommend because i i i have a goal of reading 50 books this year that's bullshit that guy will be the same person next year if uh, now uh, the exception is if you're reading like fiction and you're just being entertained but non-fiction self-help books how many books have you guys read and you're still the same freaking person i just read a book uh in a book on enlightenment called awareness six times i didn't put it down and pick up another one i read it six times each time in a different way i took notes on the like the fourth time i transcribed those notes into a journal then the sixth time all i did is go through and read all the notes that i put in my journal i'll do that again a seventh time i'm not going to pick up another book and say hey man i I'm a avid reader. If you're in self-help, into self-help and, and changing your mindset, pick one freaking book. Stick with it until you rewire the DNA to be to 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 to, to live that asp- that aspirational life. That's to me that's so much easier than saying, "Oh, I got to pick up another book." And I got you're not going to implement all that stuff. You've you know six times for one book. So relentless forward motion, Nick.
0: I think that's awesome. And even just in the title, I think when people hear this and they say, oh yeah, well, Frank was able to do that stuff, but that's not me. Or Frank was able to run that race, but that's not me. And I've heard you use the phrase of changing your DNA and killing the person you were meant to become. And I think that that's huge because wherever anybody is today, if you want something bad enough, there's a way to change whatever you think your past family lineage was or whatever you think you do, you, do what you don't deserve. It's a decision to, like you said, just relentlessly attack it, take forward motion and change whatever that storyline is. And I think that that's what you've done. You're a great example of.
1: If you, if you say to yourself, that's not me, I could never run, you know, that let's say that ultra marathon. Well, of course I said the same thing. You know what my coach said to me? Of course you can't Frank, but can you run one mile? Of course I could run one mile. Can you do that 135 times? (laughs) You begin to think, wow. Yeah. Maybe like a hundred, once the few times I've failed mine, in my mind, I let the, the distance ahead of me get into my head. When I stay in the mile that I'm in, in life, you stay, you run the mile you're in, it becomes a lot easier. And in that race, there's seven, uh, six checkpoints mile 17, mile 42, mile 90. I'm sorry, mile uh, 17, 42, 72, 90, 122, and then the finish line. I run six different races. I've changed clothes. I've even put on pajamas for a half an hour to make it fake my mind into thinking the day's over, and then I'm gonna take those off and start a day day fresh. So you know, of course, the 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 entire premise (laughs) behind this book is to create your own reality, and and alter your DNA. So if you say to yourself, "I'm not that. I'm not Nick. I'm not that fighter. I'm not Frank." Well, neither was I, until I realized through aspiration. I could create a reality instead of having somebody else create it for me, which is an epidemic right now. We let outside forces create reality for us, the media and all that crap. And then in turn, I've changed my DNA. You, you, you mentioned a, a line from a great movie. I'm not a big movie buff, but in the, in the, in the movie Rocket Man, which was the, the, the show of uh, Elton John becoming Elton John, he went from Reginald Dwight to Elton Hercules John when his manager said to him, you've got to kill the person you were born to be to become the person you want to be. No, I don't, I, I, I don't buy this line that says I, I'm, I'm going to live the life I was destined to. I was destined to be a banker because my grandfather and father were a banker. I killed that character when I left Indiana. I killed Francis Edward McKinney, the third who was supposed to be a banker to create the person I wanted to be. Kill the person you were born to be. I was born to be a banker to become the person you want to be. That will allow you to implement relentless forward motion every single day of your life.
0: I love this, man. I'm, get, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm going to listen to this over and over again. It's, it's really inspiring me. So I'm getting a lot out of it. I appreciate all the stuff you're sharing. It's really, it's really settling and resonating with me. Um, so what's going on in 1111? What are we doing to promote the book?
1: Okay, so I don't know when this, when this podcast is coming out.
0: Uh, probably within the next week or two, but uh, way before that, I'll make sure it's out way before the book's out.
1: Okay. So 1111 is my book launch party. So here's the invitation. You can actually go to the theaspirebook.com, the And you can learn all about that. I ha- I still have some tickets left to the launch party. I can't give everything away, but the party starts at my oceanfront home, which is a beautiful house right on the beach in Delray beach. Matter of fact, everybody's going to get to tour of the tree house. <laughs> After we do a little icebreaker, a little uh, grand entrance that's going to blow your mind with a fire archer and an arrow that's on fire and some medieval medieval Vikings, I'm putting every one of the guests into these VIP limos, and I'm taking them to a secret location where they won't know where they're going. ain't going to be that far, but it's going to be a really cool spot, and I'm going to bring all five sections of my book to life through these Aspire Angels and Aspire Altar and Aspire Altar. Um, it's going to be very interaction, like very, Yeah, um, uh, you're going to interact with it. You're going to be, it's very immersionary. That's the word I was looking for. Very immersionary. Uh, so you 111 bucks. It's a donation to our caring House Project Foundation that provides over a, a thousand meals in one of our orphanages in Haiti. So I got people coming from all over the world. The only thing I will give away is everything's taking place outside. So if you're a little freaked out about COVID, you know the the, the things going to take place on the beach at my pool. Then the second location is going to be outside. Uh, the Aspirebook.com. You can read all about the the fire archers, the medieval Vikings, the Aspire altar, the Aspire angels. This NFT that everybody's going to get that, that nobody else will have, but the 111 guests. We're going to have these crazy uh, Aspire AstroPoc cocktails, uh, Viking food. It's going to be off the hook. So uh, this is the way we raise money for our charity. I don't make a dime from the sale of my books, by the way. All seven of my books, proceeds go to our Caringhouse Project. So you can feel you're, it's a tax deduction. So if you don't even care about the party, you just want a $111 tax deduction. Theaspirebook.com. Uh, I'd love to have, Nick, a bunch of your listeners, uh, viewers come. I'd love to have you come. 11-11, 5 p.m. will be done by, by uh, 10 p.m. And you're going to be blown away.
2: Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world, and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught... Tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word DRUMMER, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word DRUMMER, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833 632 0585 for your free online drum lesson.
0: I'm looking forward to that, man. And again, I just bought 10 copies. So um, we'll find a way that I'll, I'll either do a giveaway or if you have people that you want to send those books to that maybe can't afford them right now or whatever it is, um, you know, we'll look up and we'll get that done. But I love everything you're doing. Talk a little bit about uh, the charity. I know you got the REI family reunion coming up as well. What, what's going on with Frank, the charity? How do people find out more about that? How do they work with you? How do they find you?
1: Well, you know, <laughs> Because we talked earlier about tying your your dovetailing your professional highest calling with your spiritual highest calling, I built a lot of the big houses, Nick, so I can build a bunch of little ones in Haiti. Um, On my website, which has been called Disney on a desktop (laughs) magazine, it's what you can experience at frank-mckinney.com is insane, including taking a tour of the 29 villages that we've built in Haiti over the last 19 years. So. Anything that you buy from us on our on our store on our online store goes to the Caring House Project Foundation, and there's 72 different donation options on the Caring House page of my website that range from a four dollar and twenty five cent chicken, so you give up a latte for the day, and you've basically provided a chicken to a family over there, all the way up to an entire village for about three hundred grand. Now that's it's a lot of money, three hundred grand, but what what are they getting in an, in a village? 50 houses, concrete houses, that for a family of eight. So 50 times eight, 400 people are living in this village. That's 50 houses plus a community center, a school, a church, a clinic, renewable food, and clean drinking water, and some form of free enterprise so the village can be self sustaining. All that for 300 grand. I can, bu- Nick, I can build a house in Haiti for $4,800. So if you said you just bought, you know, you bought 10 books, it's about three, uh, 300 bucks. That is three thousand meals three thousand meals that you just bought so anybody listening don't tell me you don't you know you don't have the money to go and give up a cup of coffee and donate four dollars and 25 cents for a chicken that by the way they don't even eat the chickens they lay eggs for two years and then they eat the chickens so listen the caring house is what i live for now i'm kind of at the back end of my professional career but the caring house uh the 13,000 children that were eating mud flavored with bouillon and lemon juice that are now have a self-sustaining existence is what I live for.
0: Man, I think you're an amazing human being. I'm all about it. I'm looking forward to reading the book. I'm looking forward to seeing more of the, the videos and stuff you're doing. I just watched you drop out of a helicopter to introduce one of your houses. It's really been amazing. Uh, any Any final thoughts before we let you go? And also, please let us know how we can find you on social media. What's the best way to connect with you besides the
2: website?
1: Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at the Frank McKinney, Facebook and all that. You, it's not hard to find me. Um, you know, it's kind of cool. If I look over your shoulder, the A game and, and I would, I, I think you and I should have talked before to just take that A and put S P I R E the aspire game, man, because to bring your A game, you've got to aspire. Uh, spend some time on the aspire which you can find on frank-mckinney.com. Exercise your wrist tolerance like a muscle. Eventually, it will become stronger and able to withstand greater pressure. And for those of you who care about the poor and the indigent, there's a passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 48, that says, to whom much is entrusted, much is required. To whom much is given, much is expected. You've been given a lot. I don't care where you are in life. You've been given a lot. Use that blessing to be a responsible steward for that gift that God's given you and share it with those less fortunate. Those are the two thoughts I'd like to leave your listeners with, Nick.
0: I love it, man. Well, you're an outstanding personality. You're an amazing man. You're intelligent, you're inspirational, and you're entertaining. And I really appreciate you sharing your experiences and your time today. Thank you for everything you're doing. You obviously bring your A game to everything you do, and it is now forgotten. I appreciate the time. Thank you very much for coming on, Frank McKinney. Thanks,
1: Nick. Thanks, everybody. Uh